Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by two writers. The first you know well, EJ Snyder, Windy City Gridiron's lead draft analyst. How are you doing tonight, EJ? I am fantastic on a victory week. Absolutely. Well, we're joined by a third writer, and may not be familiar to all of you, but it's the Daily Norseman's Ted Glover. Ted, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, and uh, really appreciate you uh, you guys inviting me on. EJ, Jeff, it's, it's nice to be here, and happy to talk football. Well, it's our, you are our first frenemy that we've been able to convince <laughs> to come on, so we're very excited. Uh, obviously, Ted, we've done the five questions with Exchange for, I think, three years now, and I know that you had a good rapport going with Kev, who did some of the five questions articles before me. So happy to have you on to the podcast network. Um, the first thing we do is we talk about beers before we talk about football. So we, you know, we have our priorities. And so uh, I am actually drinking a beer called Salted Caramel Brown Ale from Horny Goat Brewing Company. Of course you are. And I... <laughs> I like this uh, this particular name for the beer because even though we had a sweet, convincing victory last night, Bears Twitter, at least a portion of it, still seemed a little salty. And I can't for the life of me figure out why we can't just be happy with a road victory that was in somewhat dominating fashion. But, you know, everybody's got to be upset about something. So I'm going to drink that tonight. EJ, what do you have? Uh, I, for the first time in a while, do not have anything that relates directly to the victory or the week uh, or news of the week in the NFL, but pick something from a brewery uh, that we've talked about before that I really like, Midnight Sun Brewing out of Alaska, and I grabbed their Sockeye Red India Pale Ale, and while I'm not a a huge fan of the IPA style like you, um, uh, like you that you don't like it, I love Midnight Sun Brewing. I've had many of their other offerings, and so I'm excited to see what they've come up with here, and I'm a bit confused by the name. I'm wondering if it has any red in it, if it's kind of a red ale, or if it's a straight IPA that they just named Sockeye Red. So a little bit of mystery, but we'll solve it over the course of the podcast, and I'm really excited because we have our first guest that actually brought a beer. I, I did. You know, you guys sent me the email and said, hey, you know, it's it's beers bears over beers. Uh, so this is my my Viking contribution. Uh, as a Vikings fan, I we had we had guests this weekend, and as a as a as a gift for letting them stay with us, uh, they brought me uh, from our local brewery here in St. Louis. I live uh, just in suburban St. Louis on the Illinois side. A brewery uh, called Urban Chestnut, very popular brewery around here, and it's a Mexican lager brewed with blue corn. And I got to say, I was kind of skeptical uh, because, as we all know. Uh, especially Jeff being from Iowa, corn has no nutritional value. Um, but this is not a bad beer. This is not a bad beer at all. So I'm enjoying it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's we'll open ours up. We we like yep. the little sound effect of uh, you know getting to pop the oh. top. Um, but I pop I pop mine early. That's all right. I didn't, we, I didn't know we that got was part there. Of no, no, no. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Well, maybe maybe from now on you'll actually tune in and listen to us and and. Uh, and then you'll know the the routine. But I you you sent me a photo of the beer can, and the beer art is fantastic. One of my favorite things yeah. is putting putting uh, effort into beer art. It looks really wonderful. It's like an Aztec kind of design. It's really cool. Yeah, we'll have to get that posted with the uh, with some of our uh, Twitter posts when we when we get this show live. So, all right, great. Well, um, 
beer is poured. So let's let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. So Vikings are two and one. They traveled to Chicago. They're fresh off a comfortable comfortable victory against the Raiders, which I mean, yeah, beating the Raiders is a thing. Uh, their only blemish on the year is a tough loss at Green Bay in Week Two. We can probably get into that a little bit. I watched that game. I thought that the Vikings got hosed uh, trying to play that twelfth man that was on the field wearing stripes. Uh, Bears are also two and one, coming off a big win uh, against Washington. They share that same blemish that the Vikings do with a loss against Green Bay. So, I think this sets up a very important early divisional game for both squads. So let's dig in. Um, first thing that I want to talk about. I've watched all three Vikings games. Dalvin Cook is just absolutely popping off the screen. What is the secret to his success this year so far? I think primarily, guys, he's healthy. Uh, you know, his his rookie year of 2017, he tore his ACL in the, in the fourth game, I think. Last year, he came back. Um, he, he was healthy-ish. Um, but then early in one of the early games, I think it was against the Rams on a Thursday night. It might have been the week before. I can't remember exactly, but he uh, uh, tweaked his hamstring. And then he sat for a week, tried to come back. And you guys know how hamstrings can be. It just... He never really got it healthy. He missed he missed a few games, and he never really got it healthy until uh, after the bye, which the Vikings had, I think, almost exactly at the halfway point last year. And he just he just and he just never really got back up to speed. And then the other thing, the other two really big things is um, the the coaching philosophy the Vikings are using on the offensive line this year. They uh, they had the the tragic death of. O-line coach Tony Sperano last year, right before training camp started. Uh, in the offseason, they hired Rick Dennison and Gary Kubiak from, from Denver, uh, what, what had been their most recent stop. Kubiak is the offensive assistant slash assistant head coach, whatever the title is you want to call him. We call him the Denver Mafia in Minnesota. Um, <laughs> and, and they brought with them a zone blocking scheme, and, and it really fits well for the for the personnel that the Vikings have, they've got, you know, left to right, Riley Reef, Pat Elfline, Garrett Bradbury, a rookie, uh, Josh Klein, they signed in free agency. And, and then um, uh, O'Neal, Brian O'Neal, that's the guy. I can't have a brain <laughs> fart there for a second. The right tackle, second year guy. And they're, and they're, they're really, they're really good against the run. And, and the, the great thing is they don't need to blow holes, you know, uh, the size of, of a, of a semi truck open for Dalvin cook, because he's such a good runner when at breaking first contact and then getting extra yards. I think he's one of the best in the NFL at it. So that, that combination, it's at least for, for the first three games has been kind of a perfect storm for the Vikings. And they've been able to really make a lot of money on the ground with cook running the ball. Yeah, he's currently leading the league. He's got 375 yards on the ground. Each game he's gone over 100. He went for over 150 against Green Bay. EJ, did you did you watch Dalvin Cook coming out of college? Do you have an opinion of him in his college tape? Did you think he was going to have this kind of success? Absolutely, if he stayed healthy. Cook was a monster in school. Uh, showed explosion, uh, great strength, as Ted mentioned. Uh, the ability to cut and accelerate very quickly out of his cuts for a guy his size, um, very well-muscled guy and has only gotten bigger on the pro program. 
But his ability to stop and start at his size and particularly start to burst out of those cuts jumped off the screen. He was one of the top two or three talents uh, at running back in his particular draft. And the question was, he'd had a couple of nicks in college, whether he was going to stay healthy. And then he came out, had the devastating injury almost right away. Um, Last year, people again excited. Okay, now we get to have our present the second year and see if we can open it. And uh, like you said, got nicked. Um, never really looked like he had explosion. Looked a little bit like um, Allen Robinson did last year coming off the knee injury. Just didn't have that explosion. Was playing, but didn't look like himself. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a busman's holiday for me. I'm pretty excited to see him at full strength. Even though he plays for a division rival, it's great to see guys really get to sort of show out with their talent. And in the first three games of the year, he's done exactly that. I got to tell you, I have an auction draft for a fantasy team, a live draft in person, and I co-manage the team with a friend who's a Vikings fan. So I'm watching the the opening game, Bears-Packers, and I get distracted. And before I know it, my buddy has purchased Dalvin Cook for a little bit more than what we had budgeted for that running back spot. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, Sean, what are you doing? And then three weeks in, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, great, great job, Sean. Uh, he looks great, and I imagine we're going to talk more about that because I think that's probably going to be a pretty big key to success for the Bears is to try to, I don't know if you can stop a guy like that that's off to such a good start, but at least contain that and try to take the ball out of his hands and, and make our next topic try to throw the ball. So Kirk Cousins, I know, uh, Ted, you and Kev have a lot of back and forth on Twitter about the $84 million <laughs> contract. And yes, so, we do. Yes, he, he really likes Mitchell bringing Trubisky. up that number. Yes, and, and that guy too. Um, so I'm curious. He's had kind of a – I mean, he's he's either been not good which uh, against Green Bay or he's been used sparingly and, and done fine. And so is he kind of filling a role of game manager or is he – uh, are, are they are the Vikings and Zimmer asking him just to not do too much? And when they do, he gets exposed. Like what what's happening right now with Kirk Cousins? What's your satisfaction level with him? And you know, is, what do you think he's going to do this year? And what does he need to do to improve? Um, what what Kirk Cousins is is known for? I, I don't want to say known for, but but it's almost getting to that point is. His his inability to rise up to the moment. I mean, he can play he can play very efficient football. He 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 has he's had very exceptional games in the NFL. But it it just the knock on him is that when it really matters, when the rubber meets the road, when the the lights are brightest, whatever cliche it is you want to use to emphasize the importance of a game, Kirk Cousins shrinks in the moment. He did that in week two against Green Bay, and and his thing is. Turnovers. Uh, he he averages. I think for his career, he is averaging one turnover, one point two or one point three turnovers a game, and and you you just can't do that in the NFL and and expect to win consistently. When when they and and the, the thing with Mike Zimmer is he has always wanted a a run centric offense. When he got here, Adrian Peterson was was still kind of a workhorse back, and Zimmer's a very old school, you know, running in defense wins championships philosophy, which sort of flies in the face with the modern analytics crowd, but, but it works for the Vikings. Um, if, if Dalvin cook can continue to run as, as well as he has, and Kirk cousins only has to play a, maybe a secondary or maybe even a tertiary role in this offense. I'm okay with that. As long as the Vikings win the, the big question to me is there's, there's going to come a time because it's the NFL and teams adjust. They always do. 
they're going to take away your most potent weapon. And right now that's Dalvin Cook. So what's going to happen, let's just say on Sunday, because the Bears have are probably going to be the best defense the Vikings face all year, when the Bears scheme and successfully neutralize Dalvin Cook. Now you're going to put that, you're going to have to put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands uh, to make plays, not turn the ball over and win a game. Can he do it? I, I hope so. I, I I honestly hope so. I I think he has the physical ability to be to be able to do just that. I mean, some of the throws he's made he's made since he's been with the Vikings are are absolutely incredible. Here against Green Bay, he he threw a in week two the week two tie. He threw an absolute dart to Stephon Diggs for seventy five yards, and he threw a frozen rope between two. Green Bay Packer defenders to Adam Thielen to, to get to tie the game and send it into overtime. So he has the physical makeup to do it. Uh, he's physically the most gifted quarterback the Vikings have had since um, Brett Favre sold his soul to the devil in 2009. <laughs> um, but but it's the it's the intangibles. I you know I, I I hate to say heart because I think the guy is passionate and he cares and that's that would be unfair. But the Whatever that intangible word is that you want to use, can can he rise to the moment when he absolutely has to take this team down the field to 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 tire win the game in the fourth quarter? If he can do that, man, the Vikings are going to be a really good football team this year. It's interesting that you say that because the guy that we just played against Washington was Case Keenum, which was obviously uh, the guy that Cousins replaced, and then Keenum replaces him somewhat uh, circuitous route, but replaces him in Washington eventually. And and the thing about Keenum is that he's going to, he's going to try to throw it to you, uh, try to throw it to the defense a couple times, which he, he did on Monday. Uh, but the other thing is he's willing to sling it and he's willing to kind of go out there and let your receivers try to make plays. And, and sometimes it seems like Cousins just sort of holds back um, and, and plays that efficiency card and just checks it down whether when you really need someone to kind of sling it. Um, and then when he has to sling it, 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 yeah, it does. It just kind of goes into the other team's hands. Um, I, I don't know that you'd rather go back to Case Keenum, uh, but it's an interesting question of who kind of fit that offense better. Well, in 2017, I think Case Keenum fit the Vikings offense, but Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator. And at the end of 2017, Pat Shermer left for the Giants and they brought in arguably the worst offensive coordinator choice they could have made in retrospect in John DeFilippo. Um, DeFilippo just abandoned the run and and the Vikings were it, it at the by the end of last year the Vikings were thirtieth in the NFL in rushing. I, I think Keenum would have been a disaster in, in last year's offense because it was put they put so much on the quarterback to make so many plays. And I don't think whether it had been Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, or Kirk Cousins um, that was a, a huge recipe for success. Although of the three, Cousins was the best suited to make the most out of that offensive crap fest that, that we saw last year. And and now that we're back to this run centric offense with, you know, call him a game manager, a, a, a secondary support role in the offense, um, a guy that you just don't want to make mistakes and, and, and make a good throw every now and then. Uh, I, I think that would suit any of the three quarterbacks better. And right now, you know, other than that one terrible three turnover game cousins had against green Bay, you know, and heck even still in the fourth quarter, they they had a chance to go ahead and take a, you know you could argue they should have been at least tied after that touchdown was taken away uh, right before halftime from Stephon Diggs so you know even even when he isn't playing well he still has the he he still I guess gives you hope and now the only thing he has to do is not turn the ball over in a critical situation yeah and if it makes you feel it's not gonna make you feel better but we actually 
I actually complained about that call on this podcast, which I don't know why I'm complaining on behalf of Vikings, but I I was just disgusted by it. And, you know, let's be fair. If there's one thing that the three of us can agree on, it's that we don't like Green Bay. So Not at all. Uh, and just to put some numbers on it for you listeners, uh, Cousins' numbers, he was 8 for 10 against Atlanta. Uh, kind of sounds like a Mitchell Trubisky rookie year line. Um, he was 14 of 32 uh, for 230, one touchdown and two interceptions against Green Bay. And then 15 for 21 for 174 and a touchdown against uh, Oakland. So just not needed in that first and third game. So um, interesting to see if the Bears can slow down Cook and put the ball in his hands and what this pass rush can do. So um, I want to flip both. And EJ, do you have anything you want to add on the offensive side of the ball? I would love to see the ball get forced into Kirk Cousins' hands. Uh, Dalvin Cook's playing so well right now. If they, if the Bears can force the Vikings to get away from him and really force the offense to function back through Cousins, I think we're going to see numbers can you know, comparable to those first and third games. Uh, and even if it was more like that second game, if he was forced to throw 35 or 40 times, I really do feel like that play is more in Chicago's hands. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that you're talking about the it gene with Cousins and whether or not he rises or shrinks to the moment because as poorly as Mitchell Trubisky has played to start this year and at sections throughout you know last year and definitely in his rookie year the thing that he does do well is perform in that fourth quarter and rise to those situations even in sort of ugly moments the the throw that he made to to get them in range to get the field goal in Denver was not a quote-unquote pretty play but he did make it and that's really what it comes down to is the sort of brass tacks of did you or didn't you and it's the one thing Trubisky does really well and it seems to be the one thing that you're saying that Cousins, you know, is is want to do yet, and uh, that's just an interesting contrast in style. Yeah, I think sometimes it seems as though Trubisky has to make those plays because he's put the team in that hole. But that's completely agree. Probably something we could talk about for another time. So, yeah. so Ted, let's flip to the defense. Um, I, you know, a couple of years ago when the Bears were, you know, just hanging out in the basement of the division. Uh, watching this Vikings defense gave me a lot of joy because they were built like the Bears. There was a time where I was like, this team just reminds me of the Erlacher defenses. And so uh, it, it's it's always fun to watch defensive football as a Bears fan. Um, descri- you know, tell us, what, what does this iteration of the defense look like? This was a top five DVOA uh, defense from last year. They look like they're off to a hot start this year. You know, who are, who are the major players? Who do we need to be concerned about come Sunday? Starts up front with uh, on on the edge. You've got Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter um, as your bookends. And and last year, Everson Griffin had his you know highly publicized mental health issues, and he missed six seven games. It just wasn't himself when he did come back. He is back and he is healthy, and that is really far more important than anything that has to do with football. Um, but he is he is back to being the the Everson Griffin that that became a terror for five or six years before before the last season. Um, Hunter and, and, and Griffin combined lead the NFL in, in terms of a pass-rushing duo in, in quarterback pressures through three weeks, and they're, they're going to bring the heat on, on Mitchell Trubisky. I know your, your right tackle um, suffered, from, suffered from vertigo uh, and didn't play yesterday. I hope, a, I hope he's going to be okay because vertigo is no joke. Um, but, but if the Bears are going to have to play you know, backup on, on Daniil Hunter. I, I just think that really plays 
uh, advantage to Minnesota, plays an advantage to the Vikings. Um, linebackers, you've got Eric Kendricks and, and Anthony Barr are the, are the two big names there. Very athletic, very fast. They move to the edge laterally very well. Um, and, the, you know, the Vikings and Bears, I think, are, are very similar teams in a lot of ways. The, the defenses are both very good. They, they both pursue the ball and close very well. Um, and, and the secondaries are, are very good. The only, I think the, the edge I give, I would give the bears is in the amount of turnovers they, they generate compared to the Vikings. Although the Vikings have done pretty good so far this year. And of course, in the back end, you've got Xavier Rhodes and, and Harrison Smith. Um, Smith, I think is the best safety in football. Um, he just is Smith and, and I would, uh, and I would argue even Linval Joseph, the, the nose tackle in the middle are, are, are really three critical component guys that, that, sort of the, the rest of the defense pivots around. Um, Joseph is, is really a good run stuffer. Barr is, is sort of the captain of the defense and sets the defense and gets everybody to where they're supposed to be. And, and Smith is just this super uber back guy that, that the Vikings have doing so many roles. He, he's very good in pass coverage. Uh, he can disguise a blitz and, and close on the quarterback with exceptional speed. Uh, it's just a really fun unit to watch as, and, and, and play football together. Yeah, I think you've you've stumbled into the Eddie Jackson uh, fan podcast, uh, and so <laughs> we might we might have a, a agree to disagree on the best safety in football. The first team All Pro safety, uh, you know, wears navy and orange. But really big fan of Harrison Smith, and he is very good. And, and certainly they're in the conversation uh, together of of who holds that role. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm particularly interested in that matchup, like you said. Even if Bobby Massey does does play and is able to come back from that uh, that vertigo issue that he had on Monday, I'm, I'm just interested to see those Russians face our tackles because um, the offensive line in general hasn't been probably as good as we thought they would be coming into the year. They've had some sketchy moments. Um, they they protected him pretty well uh, in Denver, but uh, you know really struggled against Green Bay. And you know hopefully they're getting there. But uh, I think any time you get to go against two really good rushers, uh, that's a, that's a good challenge for Charles Leno and Bobby Massey. So I'm very interested to see how they they perform against against those guys. Um, EJ, anything you want to say about the defense before I turn it over to you to talk about the rookies? Yeah, the defense is loaded with talent um as ted mentioned uh, if you look down the the first team depth chart you're looking at a lot of high picks um a lot of guys that have performed very very well and are you know at or near the top of their position in the nfl so the first the first tier is loaded but i always sort of watch the vikings draft with a little bit of jealousy because down the board they do pretty well with defenders and the second and third ranks of the the defense are really good as well guys like steven weatherly um, a guy they got to share armand watts um hercules mataafo was a wazoo guy so i pay attention to him he had a really good game the other day um Kentrell Brothers is the backup to Eric Kendricks at linebacker. I liked him coming out as a linebacker. I thought he had a lot of talent. Um, just the sort of second and third level, it's an amazingly stacked defense. And like you, I enjoy watching because they're built in a similar fashion. And it really is led by those ends, Efferson Griffin and Hunter. They're, those guys... They can bring it. Um, the defense is built for pressure. Zimmer knows how to create that. He did it, you know, in his previous stops as well. So that's really going to be the key to the game. Yeah. So 
interesting rookie class, a little bit um, bottom-heavy, tons of picks there, not bottom-heavy talent-wise, but the sixth and seventh rounds just kind of never ended for the Vikings, but uh, we'll keep it sort of high-level for folks that are listening, and I'll just ask you who you think's been the best rookie, uh, and then I'll ask you who you have the most hope for going forward. Um, it, boy, it's still really early in the season. Um, the guy that's been most impressive for me has been their third round selection running back, um, uh, Alexander Madison, who I yep. want to keep calling Alexander Hamilton. He just wants to be in the running back room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the thing with Madison, um, is he brings a, uh, a, a, th- a third down back component uh, to the Vikings that they really needed. They had Latavius Murray for a few years. He left to New Orleans via free agency. They really, you know, Jerick McKinnon left to go to San Francisco, and and they they needed a guy, and and they got a guy in Madison. He's a he's a really good runner. The the the, the one thing with the Vikings running game the, the last few years is they had trouble getting short yardage. You know, they had Matt Asiata for several years, and if if you needed two, he'd get you one. If you needed three, he'd get you one. You know, if you needed, if you needed one, you'd get no gain. I mean, I love Matt Asiata. The guy was a battering ram into the line, but he just wasn't very productive. Um, but but Madison is the guy that that can 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 get those hard yards, and he's pretty decent catching the ball out of the backfield. He's got a lot more speed and and burst than I kind of thought when I when I saw him when I kind of watched him from uh, Boise State. But I think he complements Dalvin Cook really well. Um, yeah, you know the. Dalvin Cook had 110 yards, but the Vikings had over 200 yards rushing, and and Madison had some yards in chunks. He had a couple 20-yard pickups in that game against the Raiders. So I think he's been the most impressive. I think the the guy they needed the most, however, is uh, their first-round pick, Garrett Bradbury, center out of North Carolina State. Vikings offensive line, it's been um, a tired refrain year in and year out with this team is that their offensive line struggles. Um, and Bradbury was a pick that went to fix it. Um, they've got okay tackles in, in Reef and Brian O'Neill, who O'Neill's the second-year guy they got in the end of the second round last year. Uh, Bradbury is a guy that they, they drafted to start right away, and he is. Um, he, he supplanted Pat Elfline, who was last year's center. They kicked Elfline over to left guard, where I, th- I think he's more suited to play in the NFL anyways. Uh, and, and they went and got Josh Klein in free agency, and they, I think they really did a good job in, in Fixing that line, but Bradbury is the guy that is is going to be hopefully Bradbury, Elfline, and, and O'Neill are going to be guys that are going to be there for seven, eight, ten years for the Vikings. And although you know Bradbury's first PFF pass blocking grade was on Blutarski like zero point zero, um, he has he has improved substantially. I, I think it's just a, a matter of him getting used to the pro game and uh, and and just getting acclimated to that environment compared to college. So I. I I, I really like I, I really like the, the first the first four picks the Vikings had to be honest with you. Yeah, Bradbury was a guy that I really think was in the running for top center in this draft. Um, top two for sure. Uh, was was pretty happy that they got him uh, in terms of his ability to get in there and start uh, right away. I would have been a little less happy to see him get on a team where he maybe couldn't crack that lineup, but I thought he kicked the lineup just about anywhere. A little bummed it's with the Vikings again because I like Bradbury as a player, but um, happy for you guys that you picked him up. Um, Irv Smith, the tight end out of Alabama. Uh, sorry, Irv Smith Jr. because uh, his dad played as well. 
uh, is an interesting pick. Madison seems to be another one of those. It seems like Boise State strung together three or four running backs in a row here. Uh, Madison and McNichols, the guys that have come out the last three or four years, seem to be fairly similar. Pretty shifty, about 220, right around the six-foot mark, can catch um, and and have a little flash to their game. So it's that nice change-up that you were talking about. Um, Although you're, you know, not gonna, not gonna duplicate Dalvin Cook's dynamism, no. and no, you're not. Shouldn't, but really interesting is you guys got into the later rounds. So many uh, sixth and seventh round picks. Armand Watts was a guy I mentioned from Arkansas, six five, two ninety five. A, a guy I think who can grow into be an athletic sort of end tackle. And then Chris Boyd was a really interesting selection out of Texas as a corner. Uh, obviously, not the most. Um, publicized texas corner but i thought probably the more solid of the two in terms of day in day out so it'll be interesting to see if they figure into the rotation overall but yeah i'm hoping that uh, bradbury is the guy for you guys for a while because uh, as a bears fan i hope he's not uh, for you as a vikings fan i imagine that's going to be the case he looks really solid and i think it is just adjustment and he's probably going to get better and better and in the meantime don't worry so much about those pff grades because yeah we, we got issues with those I, you you know, I, I like PFF simply for the fact there's nobody else that, that gives you a measuring stick for lineman performance. But I do have a question about how they come to some of their grades because I just some of them just don't make any sense to me at all. Yep. Yep. You got you got good company here. So is Rick Spielman trying to get every sixth round draft pick? Uh, Rick. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he no, almost I, did it. He almost actually, did it. He was so close. Every seventh round. When, when Rick Spielman finally attains his lifelong goal of, uh, of accumulating every seventh round draft pick in the national football league. Uh, he will attain Nirvana and be reborn. <laughs> That's it's has to be what he's going for. Uh, it's uh, unbelievable. man. I, you know, I, I think overall, I think Spielman has been a very good general manager for the Vikings. Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't think you can look at the Vikings roster now from to when he took over as full-time GM in 2012 and, and say, it's not better. I think it's demonstrably better. Uh, he's made mistakes. He's he's had some bad picks. He's had some free agency busts, um, most notably on the O line and and at quarterback. But all in all, he's been a good GM. But man, on draft weekend, he drives me nuts with the with the mid round trading down and trading up. And you're like, all right, Vikes are on the clock. I've wasted three hours on my Saturday. Let's go. And the Vikings are trading. You're like, come on, man. Uh, you wouldn't do so well as as being a Seahawks fan because nothing John Schneider likes more than doing that exact thing. But uh, oh. no, he, I agree with you. He's done a good job of upgrading the roster. Like I said, the defense is loaded with talent. Obviously, no shortage of offensive playmakers and Diggs and Thielen and Cook. Uh, now Irv Smith sort of bringing a, a, hopefully a little bit more dynamic element to the tight end game. Uh, yeah, if they ever get uh, a trigger man with that it factor that we're talking about, I I would duck that that team is absolutely loaded and ready to make a run. And, and he's done a good job of keeping the talent they want to keep. I mean, um, you know, he's it, this past offseason, it, it, it just was kind of a given that Sheldon Richardson, Anthony Barr uh, were, were going to walk and they weren't coming back. And, and heck, last year he managed to sign Cousins and Sheldon Richardson. Yeah, they lost Sheldon Richardson, but they kept Anthony Barr, still managed to sign um, uh, Josh Klein in free agency and, and had a pretty good draft class. So, I mean, he's got he's got Diggs, he's got Thielen, he's got Dalvin Cook, he got Cousins. Um, he got good free agent contracts in, in Reef and Mike Remmers, who's no longer with the team. Uh, on the on defense, it's Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Harrison Smith, Xavier Rhodes. 
I mean, he's locked all those guys down. About the only guy that that is still sort of up in the air is starting cornerback opposite Rhodes is is Trey Waynes. He's he's playing the fifth year of his his last year of his rookie contract, and uh, you know the, the question remains whether to sign him. But other than that, I mean, you you can't fault the guy for trying to trying to build a winner because I I think he's built a very good roster. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I thought the Vikings Twitter looked like they wanted to trade for Jalen Ramsey, but maybe that's died down now. So, um, ah. <laughs> uh, all right, Ted. Uh, let's. Uh, I want to toss some daggers. I want to get daggers. I want to get uh, your keys to the game for Minnesota. What do you think Minnesota has to do to beat the Bears in Soldier Field on Sunday? Uh, they have to be able to run the ball. Um, it, it has been their key to success. Uh, the first two games, and and the thing with this game is, A, it's in Chicago, and it's a house of horrors for the Vikings. It just always is. Um, even even if they manage to win, it's like this fluky weirdness at, at the very last second as the gun sounds, and, and then, you know, it's just weird. I hate, I hate Chicago. You know, I spent my honeymoon in Chicago, <laughs> and that's like the only thing that I just, the Vikings were just, oh, I hate it. Anyways. Uh, they got to be able to run the ball, uh, and and you know we sort of talked about this earlier. If if the Vikings are forced into having to pass the ball because they cannot run the ball, or or whatever the reason is, that Bears defense is is going to tee off on Kirk Cousins. The Vikings offensive line is better, but I don't think it's anywhere near as good as being able to hold off that onslaught I saw from the Bears last night for four quarters. I, I think they'll be able to do it well in spurts. I think they can maybe. Um, scheme away from from Khalil Mack and and from the the heart of that Bears rush. Occasionally, I, they're not going to be able to do it consistently. And I I will say, although I thought the Bears had a pretty convincing win, there were times when it looked like Washington was able to make some money running the ball. And I I think if the Vikings can do that, um, they'll they'll have a pretty good shot at winning the game. They're not going to have to. They can't turn the ball over. I I'm about sick of the Bears getting five turnovers a game. Um, and that's got to stop. So if they can limit turnovers and, and win field position and be able to run the ball, I, th- I think they'll do okay. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to disagree with you. I love when the Bears get five turnovers. But, I was going to uh, say, well, of course. You know, <laughs> demonstrably, scientifically, it doesn't have to I stop. Think, uh, some of the success that Washington had was, one, the Bears went into a little bit of a shell, and I think they were surprised that Washington kept running the ball because they were down by so much. And two, you had that injury to Hicks late in the game, and he came out, and he's really he's very important to that rush defense. And so um, it'll be interesting to see. What, what's his status? Is he going to be? Did they say anything on him today? It sounded like it was he, uh, Nagy called it wear and tear, um, and that it was just you know something that just kind of nagged up on him. But that's not good either. So um, I don't uh, know. it was really interesting to me because he left the field in a walking boot, but then they said knee today, and I'm like, since when does a knee require a walking boot? Not as a precaution, yeah. but that's just yes. Yeah. Well, all right, Ted. Well, <laughs> well thanks for coming on. We uh, I want to check back in on that on that beer. Um, is it something that you would recommend to the listeners? Yeah, if you know the cool thing about St. Louis, it's it's very uh, it's very much a foodie town, very much a beer town. There's a lot of good uh, microbrews in here. Urban Chestnut's one of the better ones, and and yeah, I uh, I've got like five or six more of these up in the. Uh, up in my refrigerator, and I believe I'm going to have uh, have these on Sunday while I'm watching the game. Well, 
I was going to make some comment about hopefully you need them all to console yourself, but uh, I, w- I don't know that I would recommend drinking six uh, tall boy uh, craft beers to anybody. And I, I hope you guys have to drink bourbon on your next show. <laughs> oh, he's a listener. We oh, love no. it. All right, Ted, where can everybody find your stuff? Um, I'm a I'm a writer over on the Vikings SB Nation site, uh, the Daily Norseman, dailynorseman.com. Uh, I also do a, a podcast over there with a couple of uh, guys, good guys, uh, friends with Drew Bunning and and uh, and David Stefano. It's called uh, Good Morning Jollyhorn. We uh, we do kind of a pregame show at, on a Friday or Saturday, and then we do what we call uh, an in the raw show right after the game on Sunday. Ooh. Dave and I, Dave, Dave and I may or may not have had some alcoholic beverages consumed when we record. Um, and then if, if you're on the perpetual outrage machine that is Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is at Purple Buckeye because I'm uh, also an Ohio State fan. He's an Ohio State fan, and he's a St. Louis Cardinals fan. So yeah. he is about wow. as opposite as possible from, from my rooting interests. Trifecta of awesomeness is what I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ted. Well, thanks again. And we're uh, EJ and I will be back on the other side of this break as we recap the Washington game and give you our three keys for the Vikings game. All right, EJ, we're back. Let's uh, Before we talk about our keys to the game coming up on this Sunday, I want to just go back to Monday night. We're recording this on Tuesday night, so it's very fresh in our minds, and I, I got a chance to rewatch the game before we started recording this podcast, Ooh, too. So I, yeah, so I, I got to experience it again. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's just recap it real quick. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you watch the game. But Bears won 31-15 to on the strength of five turnovers from a rabid Bears defense. Haha, ha, Clinton Dix take, takes one back to the house and nearly had a second. I actually thought he was going to house that second one. Thought he was going to sneak by that that offensive lineman that yep. ultimately got him knocked out of bounds. Um, Mack recorded two sacks, forced two fumbles. Uh, looked like he could have had some more. Again, kind of the theme with Mack is um, he gets a lot, but he's also very close on some other ones. And uh, one of them was called back um, from a from a penalty, so that was unfortunate because he was just racking them up. You want to uh, have a favorite Mack quote from after the game? Please. So the press says, walk us through the strip sack. And he says, completely deadpan. Which one? <laughs> Yes. How many guys in the NFL can do that on any given Sunday? I mean, he's he's dead serious. He's like, which one do you want me to tell you about? Because they're you know that's just he is a beast. Phenomenal control of his body to be able to know where the ball is and be able to yeah, strength make balance those swipes. He's, he's the yes. whole package. It it is it just. There are very few football players in my lifetime that I can honestly say those guys are just a pleasure to watch. Like week in, week out, it's not one play that's burned into our memory. It's just sort of routine for that level of greatness. And Mac is very squarely right there right now. I try to watch other guys on the defensive line in the rush, and then my eye just goes to Mac like it's yeah. like I'm trying to watch the other guys uh lot you know during live time and I and I just get drawn to Mac it's just like 52 you know it just keeps yeah. going there because he just the thing he that just kills me is he's so good that a guy like Akeem Hicks who is quite frankly all pro level all world you know at, at tackle gets Mac's scraps 
And that's crazy. Like, that's nuts. Mac is in there wrecking guys. And Hicks is in there busting up double teams and whatever. He's still second, right? It's just that level of talent is, it's really fun to watch. On the other side of the ball, Taylor Gabriel had a monster day or a monster quarter, but like he was, he was a game, part of the game plan all day. Uh, three touchdowns in the second quarter, including that just amazing highlight right along the sidelines, right by the pylon where he snuck in for a touchdown. Uh, had to be reviewed and overturned, but you know, just absolutely wonderful catch. Uh, it was su- such an unbelievable catch that the ref that was standing right there did not believe it was a catch. Um, that's how good it was. Uh, Trubisky, I would say, was an efficient 25 for 31 for 231 in those three scores to Gabriel. He had one really bad pick, just under through a fade uh, to, to Robinson. First of all, let's stop calling fades. They're not very successful, so let's just stop doing that. Uh, but basically threw it right to Josh Norman. Uh, for a pick, and that really got Bears Twitter going into a bit of a froth, uh, unfortunately, because he, he did make that bad bad throw, and, and quite frankly, a bad call by Nagy, and um, otherwise, pretty good night from him, um, and uh, overall, I wanted to go back through our three keys from the game that we talked about last week, but just any big picture things before we dive into those? Yeah, we can talk about that Trubisky throw. I think we probably should, but we'll get to it. Other than that, Taylor Gabriel had an outstanding game, and I think really sort of cemented what a lot of folks, what a lot of savvy Bears watchers know, which is Taylor Gabriel is solidly the number two. Uh, Many people have been pushing for Miller to supplant him, and certainly with Javon Wimstrong preseason saying, hey, maybe he should have more of a role, and just sort of hurrying Gabriel out of town after this season. And you really shouldn't because he had a great year last year, very, very solid. Um, And this year has come right out and just kept putting up numbers. He is a solid contributing number two wide receiver. And last night really showed it, Um, you know, was just the guy open that, but he was open and caught those balls. So ends up with three T's, which is pretty impressive, but sort of a coming, coming out party for him in a national game. And, um, for those of us that have been watching and sort of saying, Hey, this guy's really, he's not just sort of holding his own. He's contributing at a, at a high level and, and don't write him off too quickly. Sort of cemented that for a lot of other people who were paying attention. So that was, that was pretty impressive. And the defense just suffocating for all the, I was more surprised by the downs they didn't get pressure than by the ones they did because pressure was the norm. And for those folks that can think back two and three years uh, for the Bears, that's really the antithesis of what was happening then. Um, Pressure was so rare. Uh, Quarterback standing in the pocket for four and five seconds and picking a target, and there's, there's just no way to cover that. So it was really, it was great. I enjoyed the game last night thoroughly. Yeah, so let's let's go into those three keys real quick. Um, we talked about Nagy needing to get a better run-pass balance, and I think that he achieved that last night. Um, I, my one question is, where exactly was David Montgomery early in this game? Um, very effective late in closing that game out. Uh, seemed like they were trying very hard to get a lot of different guys' carries early on, and I just think we had to just not pretend anymore. Like, Montgomery's the guy. Let's use him. Let's use him early. Let's use him in the middle. Let's use him late. Yeah, I agree. Montgomery is clearly the lead back. The the numbers, the carries from Mike Davis pretty much show that, paint that picture. Uh, 
my favorite thing about the game last night, it was somebody else pointed this out. I think it was Robert Mays, as a matter of fact, pointed out that, you know, Nagy made it easy for Trubisky on that drive. And I retweeted that and said, honestly, this should be the norm. Why would you not make it easy for your quarterback? You don't get points for degree of difficulty in the NFL. Why would you not make it easy if it's effective? And it was made it easy. It was effective. Trubisky hit those throws. We talked last week about the need for throws over the middle. There were more throws over the middle and lo and behold, he hit those throws. And that let the offense get into a rhythm. The run pass balance was there. And my favorite thing about the whole offensive game plan, very little that I would consider cute. There was very little where it looked like Nagy was trying to say, look, I'm smarter than all you folks. This play would have worked if instead it was a much simpler design. And look, this play worked. End of story. And I loved that about the first half last night. Yeah, 100%. I think the one play you could say he got a little cute was that fade route. So um, let's Yeah, let's it was just talk interesting. To, you want to talk about that now? You want to talk just, about that Yeah, later? no, no, let's just talk about Trubisky. I mean, I think uh, the number line overall looks great. Um, yeah. You know, you'll take three touchdowns and one interception every, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are some things to work on, but I think definitely a step in the right direction. I think there were some people, I, I guess some people were not going to be happy unless he put up the Tampa Bay numbers from from last year i think we should just put it out there that some people aren't going to be happy no i I think that's right and that's okay but uh, you know there were things like you said uh overall much much better game the numbers were not um i don't think the numbers lied in this case that pretty much belied the game he had he was effective he threw the ball for touchdowns he threw the ball for completions he threw the ball to continue drives and completed those i mean 25 out of 31 is is nothing to sneeze at now not a ton of deep shots. That's okay. Um, and certainly if you're going to quibble about things, there were some throws mechanically last night that were, I posted at best unorthodox um, at worst. What was that? But again, the results were the ball ended up, you know, catchable or, or at least, uh, you know, could have been caught. So it wasn't necessarily pretty to look at, but the result was very, very pretty um, on that fade. When they asked him about it, he indicated that was more of a mental choice, right? That he was kind of trying to back shoulder and that was his choice. And that's where he threw it. I almost believe him on that. And I think that's okay. If you make the wrong choice about where to throw it and you throw it there and it's a bad choice, that's okay. As opposed to, Oh, I was trying to lead him and I ended up three yards short. That would worry me a lot more. That's just a bad execution of what you wanted to do. He seemed to indicate that he executed what he executed, what he wanted to do, but it was the wrong choice. And I'm okay with that because he can make better choices, but if he can't make the the deeper throw when he chooses to, I, I have more of an issue with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they probably could have called Norman for a for a hold, um, but that's they could have. That's just me. Um, sure, he had him up around the neck, and that bothered me. So, uh, I think overall, I think we saw at least at least very minimum most of what we needed to see out of Trubisky on Monday night. Right. So it wasn't. He's not fully back. He's not making every correct i mean i don't know that any quarterbacks ever had like perfect days but that's kind of the thing isn't it but is that every right. mistake is magnified he it can have is. a great night he can win the game he can throw a bunch of tds and it's still like well that one he threw to robinson's like look nobody does that breeze has bad throws rogers has bad throws brady has bad throws uh we were watching the afc championship game from last year at at camp this and I forgot Brady's horrendous, you know, interception in the red zone that that KC picked off. And you know, 
if Trubisky throws that ball, Chicago's in flames. But, you know, New England's like, hey, whatever, all-time GOAT, he's great, he'll make it. And it just, he he has to endure a level of scrutiny that's, I find, very, very interesting. Because, like you said, nobody's perfect. Yeah, we might have to accept that a lot of Bears fans don't understand how to evaluate a quarterback. Probably well, for good reason. Um, all right. Yeah. Number three. <laughs> no historical training. <laughs> number three, you know, we brought up that they absolutely had to capitalize on Case Keenum's mistakes. He's the type of quarterback that will throw it in your direction. If you drop those, you know, he's going to keep throwing it. He's going to hurt you, right? And we actually saw that. There was a turnover, and Prince Mukamura had um, – you know that that penalty and they kept driving right like th- there was you ca- kind of keep giving him chances and he's gonna he hurt you because he ca- he does sling it but the bears hurt him way more right five forced turnovers there are a couple still left on the field but geez i mean five you can't can't complain about honest five. question did you feel bad for case keenum no so i was texting back and forth with with sam householder and he's we were talking about washington and and I was like, well, there's really only one move for Gruden to make uh, f- uh, f- with this team, and that's going to Haskins. And he's like, you can't do that to a rookie quarterback. You can't throw him out against this this Bears defense. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, for the year. He's about to get fired. He's got to play that card in a week or two. Absolutely not. You can't throw yeah. a rookie into this because you're, you're just asking to just no. ruin a guy. No, no, no. Yeah, Keenum yeah. was... One, he's a, a borderline starter in this league, right? Like he's in that like twenty-eight, yeah. you know, eighth best guy in the league uh, uh, starter, right? So he's he's already, you know, having. I mean, he's what fourth team in four years, something like that. And yeah. and then he's got a line that's missing the pro, the all pro left tackle. Uh, you know, there were some some guys that were banged up, and you're, you're playing against a defense that was just hungry. I don't know that I felt bad, but like that's a t- that is an impossible situation, and he I mean he stuck in there and you know kept kept firing, but but yeah five five turnovers and he probably if you would ask him hey do you know how many turnovers he had he might have said seven he might have said nine like I don't think he had any idea what just happened to him. Well, I you know by the about the third quarter, I, look, I was all happy for the Bears to be winning and winning big. They needed it. They took advantage of it. That's what you have to do in the NFL. Is if there's a game you're supposed to win, you got to win those. But I was amazed at how often the ball hit the ground out of his hand. I posted it on Twitter. I said, anybody know how many Case Keenum's put on the ground? And somebody posted four. And I think that's right. I think he put four balls on the ground and I can't remember one quarterback putting four balls on the ground in the same game. And I'm not talking about interceptions. I'm talking about just losing the handle in the pocket. Like that ball was coming out really often. And yeah, the rush was ferocious and they were beating him up. He had very little time. Um, And he is, he's a gunslinger. He'll stand in there and sling it, but he was getting physically beat up. He was losing the handle. He tossed three picks, including a pick six. Like he just had a, nightmare of a night yeah and i you know i said this in ken's cold take article i just said hey this defense is close just destroying worlds it's gonna rack up a ton of sacks it's gonna right. it's gonna have a four turnover game yeah i was even being conservative apparently um and i said they score twice which they almost did you know it was close so I, I mean this this was the game i was looking for this was this was a big big outburst so um i i hope we see a lot more of these and i think when you see quarterbacks on the opposing team that are in the mold of a Case Keenum, you are going to see results like that. The Bears are going to capitalize on those opportunities. So, very exciting. And if the Bears if the Bears go up early, uh, this defense with a lead 
is just that's just horrendous to face right you give these guys a lead they're used to playing with almost no points you give them a couple of touchdown lead and turn them loose and the other team has to pass that's just awful for the other team and i i'm all for it well that's what they did they just gave themselves a lead that's what we yep. got to see more just open totally it up with a pick six or a fumble return all right, well, I think we close the books on this. It's fun. You should go back and rewatch it, everybody, if you can, uh, because it's a lot of fun to watch that jailbreak uh, on defense every time. And, you know, Trubisky threw some nice balls, and, and, the, and, the, and the Bears offense did move the ball effectively. So it's a nice one to go back and watch. It's like going back and watching that Tampa Bay from uh, Tampa Bay game from last year. <laughs> it's fun. Um, all right, let's let's flip the script. Let's let's talk about let's talk about Sunday. We talk a ton with Ted. Um, that's really our our preview. But I just want to get into our our keys real quick. Uh, I I agree with him uh, on the other side. We got to stop Dalvin Cook. It, it maybe not stop, but we got to control him. We got to make sure that he doesn't run wild. And I think I'm particularly concerned if if Hicks is unavailable just because he's so good against the run. Um, this is a strength on strength battle though because the Bears are very good. Uh, yeah, at stopping the run. So how do you see that particular key playing out on Sunday? I think you're right that it's the primary one because it's what they want to do. It's their it's their primary desire is to run over people. The Bears' definitely primary desire is to stop whatever your primary desire is on offense, and in this case, it's stopping Dalvin Cook. If Hicks is unavailable, that will be a tougher task, but I feel okay about it because I think a couple of underrated defenders for the Bears, Abdullah Anderson, and um, Williams are uh, underrated guys, both incredibly strong, better against the run than the pass. So it lines up pretty well for them if they end up playing significant minutes. Um, yeah, I I think it'll be more of a stalemate. And if they can even manage that, if they can just limit, because I don't think you truly stop a guy like that. Alvin Cook, the way he's running right now. But if they can limit it and force the ball back more into Cousins' hands, I think that plays very strongly in Chicago's favor. Second one I got is, I guess it's a recurring theme, but basically, Nagy, don't get cute <laughs> on this one. You know, you, you got some momentum going, but but don't think that that's going to translate because the Vikings do have a really good defense. So don't don't come out and get cute here. You know, really grind this out. Vegas has this as an over-under of 38, which is a really low uh, over-under in this day and age. Yep. And it's the, lowest, uh, it's the lowest of the week. I think it might be the lowest that I've seen this year. So they're really expecting a defensive slugfest, I think, I think Nagy needs to expect a defensive slugfest, and he needs to respond accordingly. So don't give a possession away um, trying to play some cutesy stuff. You know, been there, call a good game, keep that balance, call some play action, and try to get a shot or two. Um, utilize that middle of the field that we actually saw utilized on Monday night. And, uh, um, you know, just know that points are going to be at a premium. So, uh, you know, take, take what you can get. And you mentioned it earlier. Start start getting the ball to Montgomery earlier. Don't wait. Um, it's going to be important to setting tempo. It's going to be important to setting play action. Montgomery's shown production as well. It's not just a sort of a ruse, right? You're going to get some yards out of that. He's going to create some positive gains. He's going to beat people up a little bit, which is also, you know, down the stretch, a, a good thing to have. So I think you're right. Stay away from the plays that are sort of... Uh, theoretical go to the ones that worked and get montgomery involved fairly early you know it'd be really nice to have this week <laughs> a really effective tight end <laughs> yeah 
it would be very nice to run some little hook routes and and you know have Trubisky have a very reliable out. I'm thinking of a you know of a Witten type tight end, right? That can just get out, get open at four, five, six yards, turn around, present a really good target, make tough catches in traffic, and give him a couple of options: hand off to Montgomery or do a little play action to to the tight end. We just haven't seen the tight end get involved in Chicago yet this year um, in any significant way, and this would be a a great game uh, you know tough defensive struggle tight game to get a couple five six seven yard gains out of short routes to the tight yes. end over the middle please over the middle over the middle over the middle <laughs> right not out to the edge. all right yeah the third key i had is is i think this has to be the david montgomery game like you know don't hide him people know let's do this let's put him out there let's get him carries and i just want to make a comment this is 2019 this is the 100th year of the nfl it is a passing league and <laughs> everything that we've talked about with ted about you know we've talked about defense and running the football so um it's still yep. there like it's still important this fundamentals are still, still relevant uh, a, a way to win this game so um yes passing is fun it's exciting but also this is how these teams are built uh- if you had any question about that, I mean, look at the Patriots down the stretch last year. They morphed into a power running team because they knew, because Bill Belichick knew that's what they could win with against certain opponents. And the Patriots, as we've talked about, are great chameleons, but they shifted into a straight power running game. And this line is very good at power running. And quite frankly, I would much rather have a backup right tackle fire out and run block than I would, you know, try and pass block Everson Griffin or Hunter. Like, that's <laughs> if I have to pick a strength. Although, underrated part of last night's game wasn't a dumpster fire out there. You know, I really expected the Washington to exploit that. And, you know, he was not great. He had some rough reps, but it was not, oh, he's getting beat like a drum. We've got a sub you know, we've got to chip the tight end and the running back every time he's in pass protection or else. And, you know, so I would much rather see a guy that's, uh, what is he, 6'9", uh, you know, firing into those guys and trying to manhandle them than, than dance with them on the edge and, and try not to get Trubisky killed. So let's let's get that running game established early, get Montgomery established early, and, uh, you know, get this line revved up and 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 looking for gains because they're good at it. They're a, they're a power-based line for sure. Yeah, let's hope Bobby Massey comes back. You know, we that would be great. Have that, that would be but great. yes, it is a possibility that that might be a, a, you know, something that takes a little time to recover from. So best, uh, best wishes to him because that's not a fun thing to deal with. So, no. uh, so uh, why the Bears will you know, win or lose this game for me, I – I you know eventually I might pick against the Bears, but it's not going to be this week. I, um, I I like I like the Vikings. I like how they're built. I think they're a good team. I I just uh, I think that home field advantage does come into play here. I think that uh, the Bears match up with the Vikings' strengths quite well, and I think that we got at least a little momentum going on offense. That I think that uh, the Bears' offense can score some points. And I think the Bears' defense is just—they're just the best unit um, on the field. And so I think it's going to be close. I do think it's going to be low scoring. You know, from a betting purpose, I don't think I can actually bet the under just because that line is so low. But it wouldn't surprise me if it doesn't approach it. So I—I um, I think they win a close one. I think everybody's going to probably predict that. But um, these are two good teams. It's early in the year, and they're built similarly. It'll be interesting to see how those styles come together on the field. But um, I'd say a close game. Let's say 
something like uh, 16 to 9. Say the key out of the end zone. So, wow, uh, impressive. What do you got? Uh, I think similarly, they're built the same way. It's uh, strength versus strength, but I think the Bears' strength is greater than than the Vikings in terms of the Bears' D being stronger than the Vikings' O. Um, and, and Ted said it, uh, Chicago's been a house of horrors for Minnesota, so there is a reason that the home team usually picks up that three-point line if it's a push. And I do think it'll be close. I think the Bears maybe stretch it out, I'll say, like... 21-17, although I think 21 points against the Vikings might be a thing, but home field advantage comes into it. Uh, offense hit, heats up if Nagy continues to sort of press that efficiency button and, and find what works and add a couple of new wrinkles. And again, the Bears defense gets aggressive and maybe scores on their own. couple touchdowns to the O I think is possible. So I'll say 21-17 Bears really, again, tight game, slugfest. Um, but again, home field and the fact that the Bears defense is playing out of their minds right now. I thought you were predicting seven field goals. That's how you got to your 21. <laughs> well, let's hope that Pinero's pinch nerve uh, allows him to kick field goals and, and seven at that. But I, I hope he doesn't have to. I hope extra points are the best he's got. Yeah, let's uh, say extra points, right? Yeah, I, w- I would hope extra points are the best he's got. But a big recovery to him, too. Pinch nerves, no fun, especially not for a position that requires as much flexibility as kicker. Uh, big ups to him for, for coming out and, and kicking a couple you know, kicking a couple anything last night just for walking on the field. He was limping badly. Uh, So I hope he can find some relief this week as pinched nerves uh, like Vertigo, no fun. Well, let's just say that I think he won a lot of fans in that locker room with the game-winning kick in Denver and then wins a lot of fans by in that locker room by playing hurt. I mean, a kicker playing hurt will let you be one of the guys. So uh, great to see. All right, let's let's circle back to these beers. Um, Oh, yeah. I, I, I got to know how I've actually been to that brewery. That yeah, you mentioned it before. About, so. It's one of the things I was thinking about when I picked it up. Um, so the can art's fantastic. We talked about Ted's can art. I'll try and post a picture of this because uh, Midnight Sun always has some fun uh, local art on their cans. Uh, a stylized red salmon with teeth on this one uh, and a water graphic. But the beer itself uh, was great. Uh, their tagline is, it bites, hook, line, and sinker. It is bold. Uh, it's got a little bit of bite, but not as much bite. It is... Um, uh, yeah, I would say a little malty, which is great. It kind of evens out that bite of the IPA. So there is a little bit of that red. It's not just in the name. Uh, it's probably in the color as well. Drank it out of the can, so I can't really tell you. But uh, nice balance. Looking forward to the other five, absolutely. So that's the Sockeye Red India Pale Ale from Midnight Sun Brewing. So the salted caramel brown ale from Horny Goat. Um, <laughs> I just, I, uh, I can't yeah. laugh when you say it. I can't not laugh when you say it. It's, uh, so the, so the description is inspired by French style salted caramels. Um, and you know, it goes on with a lot of stuff and then they add uh, Himalayan sea salt. So like it, it, you know, th- that's a dessert, right? You know, if you have a, have a salted sure. caramel, that's, that's a dessert. And I, it kind of tastes like that. Like there's some dirt beers that are more stouts. You know, I have a lot of like chocolate right. elements and things like that. in them. Yep. And th- those are fun. And this is a brown ale that's kind of drinking like a dessert, which is a little different. I don't think you could have more than one, um, but it was enjoyable. I mean, like again, like uh, I'm not sure I could totally. Oh. Own, so if you can't go over one, you're 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 more uh, you've got more endurance for that than I do. I love brown ales, but that sounds 
it sounds like a little much. I'm, I'm sure I could make it through like a snifter of it, but I'm not sure that I could drink a full Oh, we'll split one next time. There we go. There we go. I would love to do that. All right, let's let's get ourselves out of here. We have uh, held listeners long enough, hopefully giving them some great content as we continue to do every week. Uh, if you are on the fantastic or sometimes not fantastic Twitter machine, you can follow Jeff at Gridironborn. You can follow me at the Draftsman FB. The podcast, of course, has its own Twitter at, at Bears Over Beers. Send us uh, content suggestions, beer suggestions. We love it all. And don't forget the other great podcasts on the WCG channel. We have four of them now, so check those out when you get the chance. Uh, enjoy the victory over Washington. It was a very good one. They are hard-earned in the NFL. Look forward to the Vikings game. Hopefully we can do it all again. But until then, bear down.